to create create a lot of havoc with uh, winds and uh, rain and, and tornadoes uh, as you went up into the mid-Atlantic region and into uh, uh, the Northeast. So, uh, so that was a you know that was a storm that uh, did cause some havoc on the East Coast. And I think right now, let's see if I can score some points with you. We had a a name storm with the, with the the uh, I think unusual name of Nana which went yeah. uh, across the uh, Central America and has pretty much disappeared. I think it's falling apart now. But uh, Yeah, and, and, and it was a hurricane for, for maybe a couple of hours. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it had gotten right. up there to about a, you know, about 75 miles an hour. They measured a, a, a wind somewhere within the system just before it hit Belize, and so they called it a hurricane. But it was uh, pretty... It was pretty um, uh, short trip. I think it was only a, like a two or three day storm that it was named. So that that's a, that's typical of, of this year. It seems like in the Atlantic Basin is well, that we've. Let me, uh, let me tell you the ultimate typicality that it was when we almost had two storms in the, the Gulf of Mexico at the same time, and one of them turned right. out to be it was what. Mar- Mark Marco was uh, Laura's Marco. companion, so to speak. Right. I guess, and it, and it just sort of collapsed and went away. And then Laura is one of the more powerful storms to hit the U.S. Uh, mainland in in recent years. As a matter of fact, the other that's right. Yes, and uh, although you know, uh, I think Rita there was a storm named Rita back in 2005 that that hit that same area, but it was a Category Three. And uh, we, we, if we go all the way back, I mean, you can go to Camille back in 1969. That was a Category Five in that same area. So, um, so they do occur there, and uh, you know, infrequently perhaps, but they uh, they can be pretty strong down there. I, I was trying to remember. I'm a fan of hurricanes. In fact, I'm in love with uh, Camille. Uh, she's she's my favorite <laughs> hurricane. But about that, in the, the mid aughts, like 2005, 2006, you had Rita. Which hit in that little curve where you know Louisiana and Texas come together. But the, right. later that year, right along, and there was Wilma, which holds the right. record for the lowest uh, 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 measurement uh, on the the barometer. I think it's 882, if I remember correctly. There, there was there was a couple of years there when they were coming fast and furious. That's right. 2004 and 2005 were, were very, very active years for uh, for hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin. And uh, then we went through a series of years, actually, in the uh, after 2005, uh, you know, in those, you know, 2006, 7, 8, and a couple of years uh, after that, they, uh, the, the storms tended to avoid the United States. They, they There were plenty of them out in the central Atlantic, but they never uh, really affected the United States. And then we started coming back to uh, seeing more of them near the United States. Uh, uh, with uh, around 2016, we had Matthew, of course, and in 2018 in this area we had Florence, and then last year, uh, right around this time, actually, I think uh, it was uh, Dorian that uh, was really taking uh, taking it out on the Bahamas uh, uh, in the in the hurricane season of 2019. Well, I looked uh, to be prepared. If I, I could do my homework, I looked to see what's out there. And right now we've got, a, I think, a, a sort of a normal, but at the same time, strange situation in that there's a, there is a, uh, a storm. I guess it's still a tropical storm, but it's actually headed east, away from uh, the American coast. But there are three, and this is when I get scared. 
the Cape Verde, Cape Verde hurricanes drifting along in the lower yep. Atlantic, and uh, those are the ones uh, I told a friend one time, the worst thing about the uh, hurricane season to me is you have to wait so long for those to get here. Yep. You know they're coming, but they take forever to get here, but, but uh, they're, they're the prospects right now. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you are right to, uh, to be concerned about the uh, Cape Verde her- uh, hurricanes, because if you recall Hurricane Fran back in 1996, that was one of three storms that, that were like three days apart, that formed three days apart, all in the Cape Verde area. And uh, it, it was Ed- Edward, Fran, and Gustav. And uh, they, they came across the tropical Atlantic in three-day intervals. And uh, they made uh, – now, Edward and, and Gustav never really affected the United States, but Fran kept on charging uh, to the west-northwest and eventually made a direct hit on North Carolina. And, of course, that's the benchmark uh, in recent years for, uh, for, for the Raleigh area and the local area here in the, the northeast Piedmont uh, was uh, Fran back in 1996 with the, uh, with the winds and the destruction of the oak trees and everything else that came down uh, during that uh, year, uh, 24 years ago. A memory of those storms was I had a friend who worked at the radio station, and he said, Tom, you know about the weather. You keep up with this stuff. And he was going, wanted to go to the Bahamas to gamble some. And I told him about what was stacked up out there, and he decided he didn't want to go. Uh, right. We had three in so a row. They, they, can, they can form in, in uh, almost almost like in swarms at a times. And not to be, uh, you know, uh, too excited or how do you say it, uh, not to use too much hyperbole, but I, you know, I was working on the uh, on the uh, six to ten day outlook for the company that I'm doing work for, uh, and uh, I noticed that the, uh, a couple of the models are painting about three different disturbances out in that area coming from the Cape Verde Islands. So far, it looks like the uh, the tra- trajectories of those storms would be mainly up through the center of the uh, of the Atlantic rather than coming this far west. But like you say, Tom, earlier, you know, those Cape Verde hurricanes, uh, you know, sometimes they'll, uh, uh, well, it, they, if anything, they would be another 15 days away from, from this side of the Atlantic. But still, we've got to keep our eyes on them. And we can uh, pray for our friend, the Bermuda High. We're, we're, we're going to take a break here, Ron. So for okay. our, our friend, the Bermuda High, to stay in place and guide them out to the middle of the Atlantic. We're talking about hurricanes. We're talking about the weather because we're just about in the middle of the hurricane season. In fact, not quite to the middle where the, the top of the, the bell curve is. Rod Gonski, uh, our meteorologist and visitor, regularly since the early 1990s is with us tonight. And I always enjoy when he comes because I find out a lot about the weather. And uh, maybe I can get him to, I can't, I don't know if I pronounced this word right, but Derosha, our or the, uh, get him to talk about the winds of the, 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 the midland of America and to tell us just exactly what's going on in California, if we have time tonight. 919-860-9783 is where we are. We'll be back with Rod Gonski right after this. Talking about the weather, we're just not in the middle of the time period when this part of the world we're in is most likely to be hit by a hurricane, and we need to keep an eye on that, and so we've spent some time talking about that. Rod, I, I want you to lead us where we need to go, and so if I start down the wrong road here, 
you you redirect us. But I'm a little bit amused, bemused. I don't know what the word is about the weather that we're having day to day now, because we've had a really yeah. mild uh, winter and spring, and a little bit warmer uh, summer, but but nothing. I mean, they're talking a lot the last few days, and when I watch the TV weather about how hot it's going to be, and and the fact is we haven't made it to a hundred yet. So uh, that's right. All summer long, I think our highest, uh, at least as measured by the uh, Raleigh-Durham uh, airport thermometer, has been about 97 degrees, so we've not had a triple-digit day yet. However, the humidity has been just over the top. I mean, um, you know, the, the measurement that we use uh, for humidity uh, amongst the meteorologists is the dew point. And the dew point is essentially the temperature at which the air has become saturated. If you were to cool down the air that's around you, uh, it, it would cool down uh, to the point where you eventually get moisture condensing out of the atmosphere, and that's called the dew point. And when you have dew points in the 70s, it's pretty oppressive. Um, uh, in the 60s, it's sort of moderate. And, and and that's what you'd look for in the summer down here is, is just any dew points that get in the 60s because it's a, it makes the heat a lot more bearable. But this, this summer, uh, it's the, the 60s dew points have been few and far between. It's been mostly 70s. And the temperatures have been warmer than normal, but not because of the maximum temperatures during the daytime. It's been because the temperatures have not cooled down at night, and that's because the dew points have been so high. So the temperatures get down to... Uh, where the the moisture creates dew, and they go they don't go any lower than that. They just stay right there. And uh, just the other day, I was outside. Well, it was actually yesterday, and uh, it, it was oppressive because the dew points had climbed into the mid to upper seventies. Uh, and for dew points to be in the upper seventies in this area is very unusual uh, in my experience, anyways. And I've been here for quite a number of years. <laughs> um, the, uh, the dew points, in fact, when they get into the mid to upper 70s, is more like the Gulf Coast around New Orleans uh, in that area. So anybody that's from New Orleans uh, in this area, they probably are saying, oh, what's wrong with that? But, uh, but here in, in central North Carolina, a dew point of 78 or 79 is, is very oppressive and can really zap your energy, I'll tell you, when you're outside. Well, we used to have a friend who lived in Phoenix or Tempe or someplace in, you know, that, that part of the world. And- we picked her up at the airport one day, and she had gotten on the airplane. It was 118 in Phoenix. But when she got to Raleigh, yep. it was only 98, but the other number was 98, too. And so she was ready to get back on the, <laughs> she was ready to get back on the plane. It was relative humidity instead of dew point, but it, you know what I mean. That, uh, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the, the so-called heat index is, is a combination of the, uh, of the temperature and the humidity. So... When, when announcers uh, of the weather on radio, TV, or whatever uh, talk about the heat index uh, and, or the, yeah, the uh, what do they call it, the, uh, the way it feels, I guess, uh, that is what the combination index is, is a combination of humidity and the, uh, and the temperature itself. But, but one other factor I'm, I'm really sorry they don't include in, a, in an index is whether or not the air is moving. And, uh, you know, it can make all the difference in the world if you're outside and, and it's just still versus uh, if you actually have a nice breeze blowing to make it feel a lot more comfortable. And, uh, you know, people 
down further south, down into Florida, uh, you know, they may have the heat and humidity, but they also have the trade winds there because that Bermuda High that you mentioned uh, earlier in the program uh, produces an easterly wind uh, that that pretty much continues, uh, you know, day and night down there and and, and down in the Caribbean. So it makes it feel a lot a lot better, even though the humidity is high. Being from eastern North Carolina and not living in a house that had air conditioning in it when I was small, I can tell you that shade and uh, a breeze are much underestimated in their value, too. If you can get either one or both of those, it sure does help a lot. Oh, it does. And, you know, so many houses uh, down here, you know, historically have had you know, were designed to pick up the breeze, like the, you know, houses at the, at the coast, the older houses had, uh, had, had ways in which the breeze could go through the entire house and was opened up. Nowadays, everybody is so geared to air conditioning, they tend to make their windows very small and, and closed up. But uh, the old-style houses all, you know, try to take advantage of the natural uh, convection process uh, that, that takes place with the breeze going through the house. And you, you had those old high ceilings too, and and some of the farmhouses of the of the less well off, uh, the the breezes actually went under the their house because they didn't have a you know foundation yeah. circling it, and, and it was uh, really nice in the summer, but it proved kind of hard to heat in, in the winter time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's one or the other. But I liked your comparison early to New Orleans, and the other place that I think of naturally is uh, Houston, Texas, which is uh, a place... Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's not far away, and it's on the Gulf Coast, pretty much, yeah. Houston and, and so on. Well, uh, we've, we've covered a couple of things now, and we're coming up on a, a, a chance to check the news here. Uh, can we talk for a moment about the weather in the rest of the country? And I mentioned the, uh, sure. the, the word... Uh, it's the Spanish word for the straight-line winds uh, that uh, blow, you know, vast distances. Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier, and they had an incident like that a uh, 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 couple weeks ago up in, in, a, in, a, up in, the, uh, in the Great Lakes region in, in upper Midwest. It's called a derecho. Yeah, derecho, right. I, I, that was the new word that I learned, but uh, apparently it's uh, fairly strong straight-line winds that move over a great great amount of territory, I mean hundreds of miles. Uh, Yes. To get out of it. Yes, and actually, it's it's a it's very much like a squall line, but it's a very intense squall line. So it, it starts off with uh, with a, a, a line of thunderstorms. But what happens is that you have uh, high winds uh, in the in the atmosphere aloft, from about ten to twenty thousand feet, and the the high winds that are up there, it's like a piece of the jet stream comes off, and it's usually a, a straight west to east type of uh, flow of air. And, and that that high momentum air gets bent down on the back sides of the of the of the thunderstorms. The thunderstorms are producing downdrafts on right. the back side, and they pull that air in, right. and it just feeds on itself and keeps rolling eastward. And right. some of these derechos, yes. I want you to stop for just a second so we can check the news, and you can come back and sure. let this wind blow in just a couple of minutes. Okay. Well, it's pretty close to the to the high point in uh, the time when we people in this part of the world can expect to have a visit from a hurricane. And so, the good the good guy to get is our weather guy, our meteorologist for a long, long time, Mr. Rod Konsky, who was with the National Weather Service for Rod. I'm going to try it, 34 years. 
Yeah, I, I started in uh, I started in 1974, so that's about uh, 46 years ago, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you were you were. I know you were visiting us in the. I know you were visiting us in the 1990s. So we, we go back at least 25 years, uh, and uh, yeah. you, you had the the job that uh, Nick Petro has now, and there've been a couple of people in between. But I just didn't want you to leave when when you retired, and of course you work with uh, with uh, meteorology and private industry now. I interrupted you while you were talking about the winds uh, and the planes and. You know, there are a lot of interesting things that happen on the eastern slope of the, of the Rockies, Chinook winds yep. and things like that. We ought to just kind of talk generally about that because they, there are times when the temperature will drop like uh, many, many degrees in a short period of time and, and the wind will will uh, uh, have yeah. an increase in speed because of that. Tom, you're, uh, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I was going to mention was... Uh, what is apt to be a, a very extreme weather event going on in the uh, eastern part or the east slopes of the Rocky Mountains. And if anybody knows anybody in Denver uh, or is going to Denver by any chance, uh, there's going to be some extreme changes going on there on Monday and Tuesday of this coming week. Um, it's been pretty warm out there, but uh, and it's going to be – well, it's predicted to be about 90 degrees on Monday, but by Tuesday, the high temperature on Tuesday is apt to be 43. Whoa! And then it probably will get to near freezing uh, by Tuesday night. So you talk about extremes and in, in weather. I was just highlighting that for clients today, as a matter of fact, because it's just a very unusual event. This is what... September 4th coming up, September 5th, early September now. And uh, the temperatures, you know, like I said, were in the 80s and, and 90s, and they're going to be there, you know, in Denver uh, right until Monday. And then they're going to have a, a very strong uh, front come down from the north with very gusty winds, and, and the temperatures are going to cool off more than 50 degrees within a 24-hour period. Uh, so that could really cause a lot of havoc for anybody out there if they're not prepared uh, for that kind of a wind chill suddenly. And um, so I'm glad you brought that up, Tom. It's uh, those kinds of extremes can occur east of the Rockies uh, in the in the High Plains area and in the Rockies themselves. And we're going to be witnessing one of those in just a few days. So keep your eyes and ears out for the weather reports that come from that area. I guess I'm beginning, my lessons have been so good from you and Nick and other people that, that I'm beginning to be able to read your minds now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking up is what it is. Well, I, I, I always like to get a kind of a full picture of things, and I don't know what, what observations you may have, but let's go over that next group of mountains to the west of Sierra Nevada and whatever and talk about what is happening in California. One of the news items earlier was, uh, they've gotten to the point now that they may be able, that this things are serious enough with the fires that you may not be able to get uh, fire insurance in, in California for a while. And well, so, yeah, there's a there's a whole range of problems out there. Uh, but the about two and a half weeks ago, uh, they had a series of what we call dry lightning events. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this time of year is always dry in, in, in California because they have a Mediterranean climate, essentially, 
which means that they get their rain in, in, in winter and early spring. But by the time summer rolls around, it's very dry. Day after day after day, it's dry out there. And the, they have volatile uh, plants out there like chaparral and things like that that have a resin in them that burn very actively and very hot. And, and so it's easy to ignite a fire out there and have it be uh, a very intense event. Well, the weather situation on two and a half weeks ago was that there was a tropical storm well down to the south off the Baja, California, which is that spit of land that comes south of uh, California and is actually part of Mexico on the, on the Pacific coast. And um, the tropical storms never made it into California at all, but the moisture from the tops of those storms overspread uh, California, and that amount of moisture, even though it was at 15 to 25,000 feet up, created thunderstorms. But with that much dry air near the ground, uh, the, the rain that was produced by those thunderstorms never uh, it evaporated before it reached the ground. But the lightning hit the ground, and they had thousands of lightning strikes out there over a two- to three-day period, and that overwhelmed uh, the number of, uh, of fires uh, that, uh, that got started over there. It, it was just overwhelming, uh, the number of fires that got started by lightning out there. Fortunately, the winds were not excessive. Uh, I mean, they didn't have any Santa Ana winds or Diablo winds, as they call them, in which uh, you know, they have uh, persistent 50, 40, 50-mile-an-hour 50 winds out there sometimes with fires. They didn't have the wind, but the sheer number of fires that they had out there was excessive, and they just couldn't fight them all, all at one time. There was just, uh, you know, uh, the, the resources were stretched pretty thin out there. Um, there are so many facets to the problem out there, though, and, and one, of them, one of them is, besides the weather, uh, is that you can't let the fuels build up. The, you, you need to maintain the woods and the shrubs so that there are fire breaks and that there are, uh, you know, places where the, the land is cleared off so that fires cannot spread actively over large areas. Uh, it, you know, I was the fire weather forecaster here before I became uh, the, uh, the preparedness forecaster here in North Carolina. Back in the 80s, I, uh, I worked a lot with the forestry services in North Carolina. And one of the things that they did here, and, and really uh, uh, the forest service here was sort of a pioneering uh, outfit because they did a lot of hazard reduction burns, what they call control burns or prescribed fire. And they would actively use weather forecasts that I produced uh, to, to help burn off the, the, the lower-growing plants so that they would reduce the amount of fuel that would be available to any fire that got started during dry periods. So uh, they, they carefully manage the forest here, and, and I think that's what's needed in, in many other parts of the country. Get all that undergrowth. As a matter of fact, as a historian of eastern North Carolina, I can tell you, and you know this too, that... that that's one of the things that the Indians and the Native Americans did was to absolutely to manage uh, the the ecology of the, the land by by having uh, I don't I won't use the right word but burns of things that would yep. clear the the under the underbrush and everything. In fact, I I had a used to, had a landlord one time in Raleigh who was a, a, a he worked for 
company that made paper, uh, like yeah. Union Camp, I think is who it was, as a matter of fact, and, and they were uh, concerned about eastern North Carolina. He told me once that the eastern part of North Carolina was one of the most burned-over areas on the North American continent because sure. of the effort to try to keep it under control. Uh, right. And so, anyway, that's my little contribution to this. But uh, I'm glad You're I right. asked about right, Ask about the fire. Uh, you told me more tonight than I ever knew about uh, the situation over on the other side of the mountains, as I said. Right. Yeah. Uh, have I run you off the course here now? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Was there a question there? I didn't no, there it. was not a question. I'm sorry. I, I, I was speaking in a kind of broken fashion, but, uh, but I know that several years ago there was a a political thing kind of over the question of whether the, the Forest Service was doing the right thing by trying to control the, the, the or not control, or not getting rid of the fire. I think it, the, the particular fires that caused this were in New Mexico uh, at, okay. at that particular time, that what needs to be done in, in California perhaps needed to be done there. And I did want to mention one other thing is I think we got a new record for the lowest temperature uh, in the United in the, in the his, history of the United States, and maybe on the Earth's surface uh, at uh, Death Valley. Well, I think the Death Valley temperature 134 uh, back in the 1930s, I think. Yeah, they used to have one at some place called Greenland Ranch, I believe that it was supposed to be. The, and for a long time, the lowest uh, surface temperature in the world was supposed to have been recorded in Libya, but they finally decided that. That was not recorded under any certifiable processes, or you know where you could would compare it to anything. But anyway, I did seem to get that idea that it was really very hot out there. <laughs> it was pretty hot out there, and there, you know, there there below sea level, uh, Tom, out yeah. there. So you have the weight of the air, uh, which is greater because you have greater depth of the air there where the sea level is below, sea, or, or where the elevation is below sea level. And so that added compression adds to the heat uh, at the surface. So, uh, so it's an unusual area, and it's very susceptible to extreme temperatures. You know, one, one thing you did mention, though, uh, about new records and, you know, events that are unprecedented, well, there's, a, there's another side to that, and that is there have never been as many ways of observing weather or um, other aspects of the atmosphere around the world like it is today. I mean, you, you, you have constant satellite measurements, constant radar. You have temperatures and rain gauges in many more places uh, being taken by many more people than ever before, and, uh, you know, years ago, you would have great gaps in the data, and you may have had temperatures that were higher or lower in between the stations that were measuring it, but you would never know about it. Nowadays, the chances of knowing every inch of the, of the territory, practically, uh, is a lot better than it ever has been before. So the Earth is being monitored uh, in great detail like we've never had before. So we're apt to be seeing things that we've never seen before. 
And so to have a record uh, in, in one spot is, is not that unusual. And, uh, and I, would, I would expect that we're going to see a lot more of that because of the, of the fine detail that we're able to measure uh, what's going on around us. I read an article somewhere. Uh, it was a brief article, but it, it said that one of the things that had been suggested is to have weather type measuring instruments on all automobiles so you'd be collecting information from from all those sites and that would and that would be exactly well, what you just suggested a lot more information that plus uh you know people having smartphones with apps that can measure things like atmospheric pressure too i've i've heard about that okay well we need to take one more break and then we come back can we turn around and go back to the beginning of the show and talk a little bit about hurricanes and what may sure. be coming our way, okay? Okay. Rod Gonski, our meteorologist. I'm having fun tonight. This is one of the better shows we've had lately, and we'll have some more of it right after this. David Donovan, the head of the history department at NC State and a specialist in labor history, will be our guest. And Dr. Mike Walden will be our guest on next Tuesday night. Tonight, one of our oldest mates on the, the show, uh, meteorologist uh, Rod Gonski, is talking to us about the weather. And we've had a really good show tonight because we've covered a lot of stuff. But, Rod, it may be time to go back and look at those uh, points in the, sure. in, the, in the Atlantic and so on and talk about what may be coming up. Okay, before we get to that, I just wanted to say one thing, and that is this weekend looks like it will be a real break from the humidity for the first time in a long time. The dew points that we talked about so much earlier in the program look like they're going to be heading to, into the 50s for both uh, later Saturday and Sunday, and that should be a welcome relief for any kind of activity outdoors uh, this coming weekend. So I hope you have a good chance to get out and enjoy it uh, this weekend, Tom. I'm going to sit on my back porch. That's good. That's a good. Okay, there you good. go. Uh, and for the uh, for for the hurricane season here, yes, uh, we're we're barely uh, to the midpoint, but there's a lot to go uh, yet as far as uh, the potential for tropical storm and hurricane activity. Uh, we talk the uh, you know looking at the climatological situation, the so-called La Nina, uh, which is that. Uh, oscillation that goes on in the Pacific Ocean that can control weather events in a lot of parts of the world. We're, we're looking at a full-fledged La Nina out there, and, and when you have a La Nina in the Pacific, it actually affects the numbers of hurricanes that can form in the Atlantic, and uh, it, it's, uh, you know, there, and, and that is supporting the idea that it's going to continue to be an active season uh, across the Atlantic. There's a couple of disturbances over the eastern Atlantic right now that the Hurricane Center is, is uh, keeping an eye on and have actually uh, marked as uh, having potential for development uh, in, the, in the next several days. Uh, it's going to be a while for them to get organized and, and start moving in a, in a westward direction to where they are any kind of uh, concern to us. Uh, uh, the models were suggesting that, uh, that there could be two or three out there in the next... Uh, within the next week or so that are out in the deep tropical Atlantic that we'll have to watch for. Uh, closer to home, though, I noticed in the, in the models that the, uh, there is an area of low pressure late next week that may, uh, may start to take on some sort of tropical characteristics not far off the coast of North Carolina. This would not be the so-called Cape Verde-type hurricanes, but more 
in line with a couple of the other systems that have occurred already uh, earlier this year uh, between the coast of the Carolinas and Bermuda. Uh, hopefully that will not uh, cause much of a problem, but it could increase the winds from the northeast uh, and actually maybe bring a more moderating trend into North Carolina or, or help continue a moderating trend for uh, this time in September to where uh, temperatures are uh, remaining, you know, in a, in a uh, mild uh, state rather than uh, any kind of heat wave. Well, that, that actually sounds pretty good to me. That's something to hope for. I'll tell you yes, what. it is. Yeah, what we're going to have to do now is to let you escape tonight. And thank you okay. for visiting with us, and uh, uh, I will be communicating with you, and I hope maybe we can have you come back again in the not-too-distant future. This has been a really good program tonight, I think, and appreciate your being willing to do it, do it for us. Ron Gonski, Tom, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Ron Gonski, meteorologist, uh, former uh, employee of the National Weather Service and in private meteorology now with a look at all kinds of weather that we're experiencing in the United States and particularly in our part of the world. As I said earlier, Friday night uh, we're going to have uh, uh, Friday night trivia, which we try to do whenever we can, unless there be something catastrophic going on in the world. And tomorrow night should be uh, a version that we, we uh, uh, call Name That Song. And it is the one that uh, a lot of people like because they, they can take a chance in naming some records. And Monday night, that is on uh, Labor Day coming up, uh, we'll have uh, John, David Zonderman of the History Department at NC State to talk about where the, where the history of labor is going this year. He's our frequent guest on, on the program. And then uh, uh, on uh, Tuesday night, Dr. Mike Walden will take the economy. Tomorrow night, trivia on WPTF.